Hey, I'm Brian, the minister here at Harmony Christian Church. Thanks for clicking on our video. I hope that this video is a blessing to you and whoever you might be watching this video with today. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can go to HarmonyChurch.tv and you can read about us there. You can also go online at HarmonyChurch.tv and you can do giving. There's one-time giving or recurring giving. Uh, you can also send us uh, a gift if you'd like. You can send it to 7100 South Choctaw Road, Choctaw, Oklahoma, 73020. Maybe you just want to give us a call and uh, maybe offer us up uh, something that we can be praying about for you and for your family. You can do that at 405-391-7310. Uh, hope again that this video is, a, is an encouragement to you today, and may God bless you. I grew up in church, which means what some people would call me is I'm, I'm a church kid. So going to church has never been weird or awkward or strange to me. It's just been a part of my life. It's just been one of those things that I do. And and growing up in church as a kid, one of the things you get to do is you get to see a lot of examples. You get to see a lot of examples of things that you would want in your life, and you get to see some examples of things that you want to avoid. So I can remember growing up as a kid in church where – a friend of mine, his parents went through a divorce, and when that happened, I, I decided, you know, that's something I want to avoid in my life. That's not something that I want. I can remember a church leader that had an inappropriate relationship with a teenage girl, and the pain that that caused him, his marriage, his family, the, the, the church, uh, that, that teenage girl. It was a horrible situation. I can, I can remember looking at how drugs and alcohol, that, that addictive and addiction behavior and people's lives that just wreck people and their families and it's another thing I want to avoid and so the benefit of growing up in church as a church kid is you get to see a lot of things you want and you get to see a lot of things you want to avoid and that, that's sort of like the benefit of it all and, and another thing too is usually what you tend to hear growing up as a church kid is a lot of the things that you're supposed to avoid you know don't do this don't do that but one of the things that I didn't hear a lot about as a kid growing up was I didn't hear a lot about grace. Maybe that's because we just didn't think it was that important. Maybe because we thought there were other things that were more important. But I just didn't hear a whole lot about that growing up as a kid. You know, and truth be told, I think that's a lot of us are kind of like that. Because when you grow up around, when you grow up around, in and around church, you know, one of those troubling sorts of things is we're just really not sure what to do with grace. Because grace, for I think for a lot of us, it's especially if you grew up in church, it's kind of one of those things that you just kind of need it every once in a while, just to make sure you just don't go to hell. You know, I, I want to make sure that I'm good enough to kind of like make it into heaven, and so I, I just need a little bit of grace here, and I need a little bit of grace there. Marilyn Monroe once said this. She said, "I'm good, but I'm not an angel. I do sin, but I'm not the devil." I think that's where a lot of us live. Like we know we're not good, but we know that we're good enough to not be bad. And I think that's where like a lot of us kind of live. Like we just need a little bit of grace just to make sure that we just don't we just don't go to hell. That's that's kind of what we want to do. But we know that we're really not that bad. So you know, we looked at Playboy, we watched some porn, we said some cuss words, we told our boss a whole bunch of fibs, we manipulated the situation. Uh, somehow, some way, those office supplies somehow made it home. There was a lot of things that we've said, and there's a lot of things that we've done, 
Like, we're not that bad. I mean, we're really good. You know, in comparison, you know, in comparison to all those people that are out there that we really know that are bad. You know, all those really bad people. You know, the people that abuse their spouse or abuse their kids. Uh, the people that take advantage of the poor. Uh, Stockbrokers, high government officials, politicians. Uh, we're not as bad as they are. So we're good. And when we play that kind of a, a rigged comparison game, we always kind of come out on top. Which means there's a whole lot of sins that I can be selective about. Those sins that really aren't that bad, and those sins that are really bad, because we know those are the really bad ones. You know, like homosexuality, transgender people, that kind of stuff. Those are the really bad ones. People who maybe disagree with us on some small, minute little matter of theology. Those are the people that are the really sinners. And probably, truth be told, the people who are really the, the sinner people that are out there are really just those people who, on any given day, are the people that sort of get our ire up. And those are the real sinners. Because we know we're good. I mean, we're not good, but we know that we're good enough that we're not bad. And so we really don't need a whole lot of grace. In 2016, uh, then-presidential candidate President Trump uh, was asked in an interview uh, about whether or not he went to church. And in the interview, he said, yeah, like, I go to church. And he said, I'm a Presbyterian. I love God. I love my church. And so the interviewer said, well, okay, like, if you go to church, has there ever been a time where you felt you needed forgiveness in your life? And to that, Trump said this. He said, I I'm not sure I have. I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I think if I do something wrong, I think I, I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into that picture. When I drink my little wine, and what he's referring to there is taking communion. So when I drink my little wine, which about the only wine that I drink, and have my little cracker, I guess that is a form of asking for forgiveness. And I do that as often as possible because I feel cleansed. I think in terms of let's go on and let's make it right. Well, that answer that Trump gave, you might imagine, well, mixed reviews on that. But I think his answer puts on display where the majority of us live. I think it's pretty accurate to how most of us sort of do life or do life with God. I think that's kind of accurate with that. That our sins aren't really that bad because we know that, well, we know we're good, but we know that we're really not that good, but we also know that we're really not that bad. So if growing up in church taught me anything, it taught me to be a good person. And when you're a good person, you really don't have to be dependent upon, you really don't need grace. I mean, you need it every now and then, but you really don't need it, need it. You really don't have to depend upon it. And I think that's the danger that people that grew up in church, maybe people that have been going to church for a long time, can have. The danger is, is that I really don't have to be dependent upon God's grace at all. I just have to be dependent upon the fact that I'm good. I mean... I know I'm not good, but I'm really not that bad. That's all I have to be dependent upon. I really don't need a whole lot of God's grace. I think it gives us a distorted view of grace. I think it gives us a, a kind of salvation where it's just kind of me saving me. And we wonder, 
like we wonder, like, just what is grace? Maybe grace really is like that card you get in Monopoly. It's just, it's that get out of jail free card. Maybe that's really all grace is. And we're terrified to hand grace out because if you hand grace out the same way that you would hand out candy for trick-or-treaters, well, if you, if you just give it out like that, well, then nobody's ever going to do anything right at all. Why act wisely? Why act good at all if everybody's just going to have grace just all over the place? And I think that's something that the Apostle Paul gets. I think the Apostle Paul sees that broken human beings can have this tendency to distort or even sabotage Jesus' vision of what the church is supposed to be all about. And so in and so in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, starting in verse 4, Paul says this. He says, if any, if any try to throw around their pedigrees to you, remember my resume, which is more impressive than theirs. I was circumcised on the eighth day, as a law prescribes, born of the nation of Israel, descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew born of Hebrews. I have observed the law according to the strict piety of the Pharisees, separate from the embarrassing and less rigorous kind of Judaism. Zealous? Yes, I ruthlessly persecuted and pursued the church. When it comes to righteousness, I required by law my record is spotless. But whatever I use to count as my greatest as my greatest accomplishment, I've written them off as a loss because of the anointed one. And more so, I now realize that all I gained and thought was important was nothing but yesterday's garbage compared to knowing the anointed Jesus, my Lord. For him, I have thrown everything aside. It's nothing but a pile of waste so that I may gain him. When it counts, I want to be found belonging to him, not clinging to my own righteousness based on law, but actively relying on the faithfulness of the anointed one. This is true righteousness supplied by God, acquired by faith. Paul's big point here is he's talking about grace, and, and he's telling us that grace isn't just something that you accept, that grace isn't just something where it's like at your birthday party or it's Christmas, and you just receive this little gift of grace, and you unwrap it, and you're excited, and you're thrilled, and then you just kind of go off and enjoy it. Paul tells us that the very first step that you need to take in order to really receive this grace that God wants to give you is that you just reject everything else. You're going to have to reject who you are. Paul lists off his little resume there, and he says, I reject all of that. All of that was I thought this is who I was supposed to be, and what I have discovered that in order to gain Christ, I had to let all that go. That's how I received the grace that God gave me. It wasn't just a simple little gift of grace that I enjoy and go off. It's a rejection of who I am. Otherwise, what Paul recognizes is that it's real easy for us to just add Jesus to our resume. Like, here's this list of all these things that makes us good, and then I can just sort of stick Jesus on there. I can just add him to my resume. And Paul says, no, no, follow my example. You're going to have to reject all of that. If you really want to tap into God's grace, you're going to have to become dependent on that grace. And in order to do that, you've got to reject all this other stuff. You're going to have to reject it. Now, I suppose for a guy like Paul, that's pretty easy. 
I mean, Paul can say that, right? I mean, after all, it's Paul who, on the road to Damascus, had his Damascus Road experience. I mean, when was the last time maybe you were sitting in your car and a beam of light came down and God, like, or Jesus himself was talking to you? You had this one-on-one, like, over-the-top, super-personal visit by Jesus himself. Well, that's what Paul had. And I would think that anybody that would have had a Damascus Road experience the way that Paul had, anybody would straighten up and fly right. So for Paul to say that he had this dramatic experience and and change that, I think it's, for church kids like me, that's just a really hard pill to swallow. Because, Because our question is, is, you know, how do you make any kind of spiritual changes outside of some sort of dramatic, over-the-top experience. Like, what does that even look like? You know, truth be told, us church kids and folks have been going to church for a while, like, truth be told, like, we kind of have this sad little secret. And the sad little secret is is that we kind of take a little bit of, there's a little bit of pleasure involved when we see somebody who's been playing with fire and they get burned. I mean, surprise, surprise, right? You didn't straighten up and fly right. And because you weren't flying right, you crashed. And there's a little bit of pleasure found in that. Paul sees that too. And he's got something else to say about that. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, he says, But now for the good news, God's restorative justice has entered the world, independent of the law. Both the law and the prophets told us this day would come. This redeeming justice comes through the faithfulness of Jesus, the anointed one, the liberating king who makes salvation a reality for all who believe without the slightest partiality. You see, all have sinned, and all their futile attempts to reach God in his glory fail. I guess what I'm trying to get at is this. Not only are you going to have to reject all this who you are, we're we're also going to have to struggle with the fact that Paul is offering us a new standard as to who gets grace. And Paul says, grace is for all. It's for all. In 1997, uh, what was on the news was Bill Clinton. You couldn't get away from it. Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky were all in the news. Every night it was a news a news update. It was on the magazines. It was in newspapers. It was on the radios. It was all over the place. Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky. Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky. All over the place. Names like Linda Tripp, Ken Starr became household names. You talked about it at church. You talked about it at work. You heard people talking about it as you were walking around the store. It was all over the place. Parents were a bit embarrassed because now there was a whole lot of sexual jargon that they are going to have to explain to their kids. And they really didn't want to have to explain that to their kids about really what all this happened and what was going on and what was happening. And some Christians felt like Bill Clinton deserved all the grace in the world. I mean, just look at what King David did. And other Christians felt like he didn't deserve even the slightest bit of grace. And what became pretty clear was this. If you were already sympathetic to Bill Clinton, you thought he should get all the grace in the world. If you weren't sympathetic or a supporter of Bill Clinton's at all, you thought he shouldn't get any grace at all. Same thing happened to a guy by the name of Mark Stanford. Maybe you might remember him. He was governor of South Carolina. He told everybody that he'd been on the Appalachian Trail hiking around, when really what he had done is he'd hopped on a plane, flown down to Argentina to go see his mistress. 
And people who were already supporters of his felt like, yep, you deserve all the grace in the world. And people who weren't supporters of his felt like, nope, you don't deserve any grace at all. I can remember as a church kid growing up, as a teenager, I remember one of the girls at the church got pregnant. And when that happened, a whole lot of church folk just sort of cut her off, pushed her away. She got the signal, like, I'm just not welcome here. But yet when a church leader, when their daughter got pregnant, well, then that was a different set of circumstances. And it raised all kinds of questions about, well, why is it we show grace to this person but not grace to this person? Why do, why do we do it like that? Why do we do that? Why grace towards some and not grace towards all? I, uh, in my degree that I had to get in college, uh, it required me to learn a New Testament Greek. It's called Koine Greek. It's the Greek that the New Testament's written in. And one of the ways to learn all these Greek words is you just have to repeat them over and over and over again. It, it really can be mind-numbing at a time. And there's this one little word in Greek that you have to learn. It's an adjective. And it's this little word, pas, P-A-S, pas. And that little word shows up a whole lot in the New Testament. In fact, it shows up 1,243 times. This little word, pas, shows up. And all pas means is all. And it is the same exact word that shows up in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned. All deserve grace. You know, the, the church is at its best when it dispenses grace. The church is at its best when it creates space for grace, when it nurtures that space, and it protects that space for grace. It's at its best when it does that. It is at its worst when it doesn't protect that, when it's not a dispenser of grace. What about you in your life? What about you and your family? How are you dispensing grace? How are you maybe nurturing or encouraging some space for grace in your family and in your neighborhood, even in even in the nation? Like, how, how are we creating some space for that? Maybe what we should strive to be, maybe what we could strive to be is just dispensers of grace because all have sinned and all deserve grace. God bless you. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Peace be with you.